Alright, next verse, 158. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّ الصَّفَى وَالْمَرْوَى Indeed, the Mount Safa and the Mount Marwa. Safa and Marwa are two small hills near the Kaaba. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that they are min sha'a'irillah from the symbolic rituals of Allah. Meaning they are sha'a'ir that are prescribed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The question is, what is sha'a'ir? Sha'a'ir is a plural of the word sha'ira and it's from the root letters sheen, ayn, ra. Remember, tash'urun, shu'ur, to perceive, to realize. So sha'ira is a symbol, a sign that represents something. That when you see that symbol, when you see that sign, you are reminded of something. Okay? You are reminded of something. Like for example, the logo of an institute, or a school, or a company. Every time you see that S, for example, or every time you see that circle with those three lines in a certain way, that sign, that shape, that number, that letter, what does that represent? A company, a brand. So this is a sha'ira. Now, sha'irillah refers to the different places, different objects, and different times that remind you of the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So for example, going back to different, first of all different, what did I say? Places, right? When you think of a masjid, what is a masjid? What's a masjid supposed to be? A place of prayer. The Kaaba. What is the Kaaba supposed to be? Again, a place of worship. What is the place Mina supposed to be? A place related to Hajj. Different objects. Objects, like for example, a headscarf. What does that symbolize? Religion. Isn't it? It's a symbol that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen. Then different times, Ramadan, Friday, the month of Dhul-Hijjah. So these are different things, different times, different places that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen for His religion. And all of them symbolize the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Safa and Marwa are two hills that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decided that they should be of sha'a'irillah, they are of the deen of Allah. So, فَمَنْ حَجَّ الْبَيْتَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that whoever makes the hajj of the house, and the house refers to the house of Allah, meaning the Kaaba. so whoever goes for hajj, أو or اِعْتَمَرَ He performs the umrah. اِعْتَمَرَ is from عَيْن Mimra. And اِعْتَمَرَ literally means to populate a place, or to fill it with people, or to keep it busy. Some places are kharab, meaning they're empty. People don't go there. And then there are other places which are busy. So the Kaaba is a place that is always busy because of Umrah. At Hajj, yes, a lot of people are there at Hajj. But the rest of the year also, is it a busy place? Is it a busy place? It's always busy, no matter what time of day or night or of the year you go. Even when the Kaaba was flooded, there was a time, long time ago, when the Kaaba was flooded. So much so that people were swimming to do the tawaf. You know that? I mean, that's cool, right? Doing your tawaf laps in circles. 
So it's always busy no matter what. No matter how hot it is, no matter how cold it is, and it's busy because of Umrah. So whoever goes for Hajj or he goes for Umrah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that فَلَا جُنَاحَ عَلَيْهِ Then there is no blame on this person. That he makes tawaf between them two. Between what two? Between the Safa and Marwa. Now the word yattawafa is from tawafa, and tawaf is to basically go in circles, which is why we do tawaf of the Kaaba. We go around the Kaaba seven times. But remember that tawaf is not just going around something; it also refers to going back and forth. So this is referring to the walking back and forth between Safa and Marwa during Umrah or during Hajj. And what is this ritual called when you go back and forth between Safa and Marwa? It is called Sa'i. You go to Safa, then from there you walk to Marwa, then from Marwa you walk back to Safa, and then back to Marwa, then back to Safa. And you do this how many times? Seven times. So this is Sa'i. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us over here that Safa and Marwa are two hills that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen that a particular act of worship be performed over here. So anyone who goes for Hajj, anyone who goes for Umrah, then there's no harm if they do tawaf between them two, meaning if they do the sari. وَمَن تَطَوَّعَ خَيْرًا And whoever does any good voluntarily, تَطَوَّعَ is from تَوَّعَيْن and tatawwur is to do something good by your own choice. You see, there are some things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded us to do. We don't have any option. It's fard, like salah. But then there are other actions which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us the choice. You do it if you want to, and as much as you want to. Like for example, the recitation of the Qur'an. Is it a fard to recite the Qur'an two pages a day, every single day? No. But it's up to you. You can recite two pages, you can recite three pages, you can recite half a page, you can recite one line. It's up to you. But whoever does any good, فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ شَاكِرٌ عَلِيمٌ Then remember that Allah is shakir. He is very appreciative and He is alim. He knows. He appreciates the good that you do and He knows the good that you have done. Now, what is this ayah talking about? This ayah is basically talking about the ritual of sari. Remember that Safa and Marwa, at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, before when people used to worship idols, they had placed an idol at Mount Safa, and they had also placed an idol at Mount Marwa. And so the Muslims, they were a little hesitant that if we go to Safa and Marwa, we'll be kind of respecting these idols. So what do we do? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this ayah that no, you're not going to Safa and Marwa for the sake of these idols. You're going to Safa and Marwa doing sari. Why? In obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And where did this begin? How did this start? The sari, why do we do sari? In whose footsteps? In the footsteps of Hajab, the mother of Prophet Ismail alayhi salam. Now, if you look on page number 21 at the bottom, you have over here a narration of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu, who said that Ibrahim alayhi salam, he took Hajar and his baby Ismail, and he took them to Mecca. And remember that Mecca at that time was just an empty place, a barren valley. No trees, I mean lush green trees. Yes, you had those trees that grow in deserts. 
one here scattered and one here, one there and not that lush. No buildings, no people lived there. There was no river, no lake, no stream, no well, no gas station, no rest stop, no roads, nothing. So he took Hajar and baby Ismail to Mecca. There was no Kaaba even at that time. Empty place. And what happened? He made Hajar and Ismail sit under a tree and then Ibrahim salam began walking away. So Hajar, of course, she asked him, that, where are you going? Why are you leaving us here? What's going on? And Ibrahim salam was quiet. He didn't answer. She asked him again, where are you going? Why are you leaving us here? Ibrahim salam was quiet. Third time she asked again, Who are you leaving us with here? How are we going to survive? Where are you going? Why are you going? What's going on? And Ibrahim salam was quiet. And then Hajar said, Is this because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded you? Are you doing this because this has come from Allah? And Ibrahim salam said, Yes. Hajar said, Raditu billah. Her response was, Raditu billah. Then I am pleased with Allah. If Allah wants that I should stay in this empty place, me alone with my baby, if that is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants for me, then Raditu billah. I'm happy with Allah. Can you imagine? I mean, this is not easy, but this is what sabr means. That if you are put in a situation where you don't know how you're going to survive, you accept the fact that you are here because of who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then you trust Allah that if He brought you here, then He is going to take care of you. So that is what Hajar did. She trusted Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ibrahim alayhi salam left. Now what happened? Hajar had some water and she drank it for as long as she could. But of course, sooner or later, her food supplies, they ran out. So now came a time when she had no water, she had no food, and she had a baby. Now, as an adult, if you're hungry, what do you do? You do sabr. But if a child is hungry, you cannot tell the baby, have sabr. What is a baby going to do? He's going to cry. Right? You have a bigger body, you have more chances of survival. A baby, if the baby is hungry for a very long time, he's going to get dehydrated and he's going to die. So now Hajar is desperate to feed her baby. She has nothing to give her baby. No food, nothing at all. So what happened? She got up and she started looking for food. She started looking for water. She started looking for something that she could eat, something that she could give her baby. So in order to look for it, she went up on a hill. She looked around and she didn't find anything. So what happened? She got down from that hill and she ran the other way and she climbed another hill. She looked around. She didn't find anything. She got down from that hill, went back on the first one because these were the only two hills that were near her. So she went back up on the first one, looked around, found nothing. She went back up on the second one, looked around, found nothing. Back on the first one, back on the second one. And she did this seven times. She ran and she looked for food. She looked for something. She didn't find anything. And then she went back to her baby and she sees that by her baby 
is water gushing out of the ground. That was the water of Zamzam. That Jibreel السلام, was sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he struck his wing and from the sand, water started gushing forth. And so Hajar was worried that this water was going to dry up. So immediately she made kind of like a well around it, you know, like she made like a wall around it. And she said, Zamzam which in her language meant stop, stop, like don't flow away and don't dry up and don't get absorbed by the sand. So what happened now? There was water, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed her and remember that the water of zamzam is for whatever you drink it for. If you're hungry and you drink it, it will serve as food for your body. If you're thirsty and you drink it, it will serve as water for your body. If you are sick and you drink it, it will serve as medication for your body. So she survived on the water of Zamzam. Now, what happens is that in a desert where there is water, what will happen? Birds will come. Right? And if you're traveling in the desert and you want to know where water is, you look at where birds go. Because you can see birds flying from a distance, right? So there were people traveling in the desert and they found birds flying in the distance They went there and they see a woman and a child and a spring of water. And so these people, they were the tribe of Jurhum. So they asked Haja, can we use some of your water? And she said, yes, you can, but it belongs to me. You can have it, but it belongs to me. And then they asked, can we stay here? You know, there is a continuous supply of water. So can we just stay here? And she said, of course you can, but remember that this water belongs to me. You cannot take over it. So they started living there. Now you see what happened. Hajar was alone. She trusted Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. She did not give up. And then we see that she did what she could. She ran up the mountains, those two mountains, seven times. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands us that when we go for Umrah or we go for Hajj, we also have to make sa'i between Safa and Marwa. Why do we have to do sa'i between Safa and Marwa? We're not looking for water. Why are we going up Safa and Marwa? This is a lesson, a very important lesson, that no matter what trouble you're in, be positive. Like Hajar, when she said, رَضِيتُ بِاللَّهِ So when you're in some hardship, say, رَضِيتُ بِاللَّهِ Say, inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. I know of a sister who has lived a very difficult life. And one day she discovered that she had cancer. Little children, a husband with a heart condition, all alone in this country with no relatives. And she found out that she had cancer. And she was so distraught, she called me and I said, just say, radhitu billah. Just say, radhitu billah. And she said that's what she kept saying again and again. Raditu billah and inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. And if you meet this woman today, she's one of the most positive people. You could never tell that she had cancer. You could never tell by meeting her that these are the hardships that she has gone through and that she's still going through. She's at peace. Happy person. Smiling. Excited. Active. How? Where does that energy come from? From her trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when you're in hardship, always view it, how? With positivity. Secondly, we see in Hajar, hope. 
She goes up Mount Safa, she finds nothing. She goes up Mount Marwa, she finds nothing. But she still went back to Safa. And again she went back to Marwa. Seven times. She's going up the same hills. Why? She's hopeful that there is something out there. There is a solution. There is a way out. And this is what we need. When we are in some trouble, when we're in some hardship, instead of focusing on what we don't have, we need to increase our hope. We need to have this faith that there is an answer. There is something better. There is something good. Hope we see in Hajar. Thirdly, what we see in Hajar is action. She's not sitting under the tree, crying, hugging her baby, we're just gonna die. Well, yeah, of course we're gonna die. Everybody has to die. But the thing is, right now, what can I do? What could Hajar do? She couldn't leave Makkah because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had decided that she should be there. This was a command that came from Allah. What could she do? She could go up Mount Safa and she could go up Mount Marwa. And she could go up Mount Safa again. So she did. She could go up Mount Marwa again. So she did. Even though she didn't find anything on her previous try, she still tried. She did not give up. We see action. And these are three things we need to do when we're in some hardship. Positivity, hope, and action. What happens to us instead is that when we're facing some difficulty, we become bitter. We become angry. We get upset. Instead of being positive, we become bitter. Instead of being hopeful, we despair. We're like, that's it, it's over. We're gonna die. Khalas, finished. And instead of doing something, we wait for miracles to happen. And if you think about it, Hajar, she could have just decided to sit there and expect that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send Angel Jibreel with, you know, three meals a day, maybe five, right? Because she was there because of Allah, right? So special food should come to her from Jannah. That's not what happened. She had to get up and do something to help herself. And that is what we need to do. What happens to us is when we're in some hardship, we make dua. Allah, please help me. And then we expect the help should come like this. And when the help does not come like this, we're like, see, dua doesn't work. I wonder if Allah is even there. I wonder. Seriously, this is what shaitan tells us. But what we see in the example of Hajar is, be positive, be hopeful, and do your best. And of course the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will come. This is what sabr looks like. And Allah says that whoever does any good, then indeed Allah is shakir. Who is shakir? Shakir is from shukr, right? Sheen kafra. And shukr means to be grateful. Now as people, yes, we should be grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But Allah is shakir. And what that means is that Allah appreciates the deeds, the efforts of His servants. He appreciates them. He accepts their deeds, even though they may be little. And He rewards them for their efforts. When a person is patient, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala appreciates that patience. And so He rewards him. When a person obeys Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then Allah appreciates that obedience. And Allah rewards him. When you give up something for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala appreciates that sacrifice and He will give you something that is better. Allah is appreciative. Allah does not waste the efforts of His servants. You see Hajar, she ran between Safa and Marwa so many times. Did Allah appreciate her running? Did Allah appreciate her running? So much so that we have to do it today. If you don't do sari, your umrah is not complete. If you don't do sari, I mean, what kind of hajj is that? It's one of the rituals of hajj. It's one of the rituals of umrah. And hajj is one of the five pillars of Islam. Which means that if you can afford to do it, if you're able to do it, you must do it as a Muslim. And if you are doing hajj, then you must follow the example of hajr. Did Allah appreciate the effort of hajr? Did He? Yes. So when you are in some difficulty and you still obey Allah, you turn to Allah, you are patient, you don't give up, will Allah not appreciate your striving? Will He not appreciate your striving? He will. And He is alim. He knows what you're doing. He knows the struggle that you're going through, the pain that you're going through, the effort that you have to put in. And sometimes that's all that we want, right? That people should acknowledge us. People should acknowledge that I'm trying so hard to study. I'm trying so hard to you know, not cry over here. And people don't even realize. Who realizes? Who realizes what you're going through? Allah. فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ شَاكِرٌ عَلِيمٌ Then the next verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that إِنَّ الَّذِينَ Indeed those people who يَكْتُمُونَ مَا أَنزَلْنَا They hide what we have revealed. يَكْتُمُونَ is from katama. كَافْ And katama is to conceal. So those people who conceal what we have sent down, مَا أَنزَلْنَا مِنَ الْبَيِّنَاتِ Of the clear proofs. Bayinat is a plural of bayina. وَالْهُدَى And guidance, meaning knowledge. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed guidance for people. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed scriptures for people. So those people who hide this guidance, مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا after bayyannahu linnas after we have made it clear for people when allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent guidance like for example a book and he sent a prophet to explain that book and then what happened after that some people they hid the book they concealed the teachings of the prophets fil kitab in the book then such people ulaika yal'anuhumullah such people are criminals in the sight of allah why how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala curses them. Yal'anuhum is from lam aynun. Wa yal'anuhumul la'inun and those who curse, curse them. La'inun is a plural of la'in. What does this ayah mean? That those people who hide the book of Allah, those people who hide the knowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent for the guidance of people, then such people are criminals in the sight of Allah. They're cursed by Allah. And they're cursed by Allah's angels. Why? Because they're harming people. There's two ways of harming people. One is that you actively do something to hurt them. Like for example, when people fight, like for example, a person attacks another, punches him, kicks him. This is one way of 
aggressive behavior. This is one way of harming people. And another way of harming people is when you hide good from them. When you hide good things from them. So for example, a person is sick, you have the medicine, and you don't give it. Somebody is drowning in front of you, you have a phone, and you don't help them. This is also criminal behavior. Somebody is being bullied, and you have the ability to stop the bullying, but you don't step forward. Somebody is going to get severely hurt, and you don't do anything to protect them. You become selfish over there. You don't care about them. This is also a way of harming people. Now, one thing is that you harm people in regards to their worldly things. For example, a person is hungry, you don't give them food. But, okay, you don't give them food, somebody else will. You don't give them food, okay, they pass away, well, everybody has to die anyway. Okay. But if someone needs knowledge, someone needs guidance, someone needs to learn about Allah, and you know about Allah, and you don't tell them about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know what? You're harming them. You're hurting them. By keeping them in the dark. By letting them stay ignorant. Your friend is walking and there's, you know, dog poo or something on the ground. And you see them and you're just standing by watching that, okay, he's gonna step in it and I'm gonna have so much fun laughing at him. This is not nice. If somebody needs to learn about something important, you must tell them. And people deserve to know what is good for them. So when you know about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's your responsibility to tell people about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if you don't, if you don't, is that fair? No. Because imagine now those people are going to come to you on the Day of Judgment asking, why didn't you tell me? We were friends for such a long time. You never told me about Allah. I never heard the word Allah from your mouth. We went to the same school for so many years. You saw me crying because of different things. You saw me in pain. You saw me in hardship. You never gave me hope. You never told me about sabr. You never told me about jannah. You never told me about the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a solution for everything. Isn't that a crime? This is similar to how there is a person who is sick in front of you. You have the medicine and you don't give them. You're a criminal then. So those who hide sacred knowledge are also committing a serious crime. She mentioned the story of a person who embraced Islam in the masjid and after they embraced Islam, they requested if they could speak to everybody. And they spoke to everybody and they said that I had a Muslim neighbor for 21 years. And not even once did that Muslim neighbor ever tell me about Allah, about Islam. But what really the Qur'an says This is something we all need to think about. You know, we share, for example, if there is a sale somewhere, we'll share that with the world. We'll post it on our Facebook. We'll send like random messages to everybody for things of this world. What about the hereafter? And you see the connection of the verses? In the previous verses, what are we taught? Life is tough. 
How do you deal with the difficulties of this life? You deal with them through patience and prayer. What about those people who don't know what prayer is? What about those people who don't know what sabr is and how they should do sabr? And it's not just people who are not Muslim. Even Muslims don't know about what sabr is. They don't know about how to deal with difficulties in life. So who is going to tell them? Who's going to teach them? We think, yeah, somebody else will. The responsibility lies on all of us. We must share the knowledge that we learn. We must share the good that we have. This is part of gratitude. When Allah gives you a blessing, that blessing is not just for you to use selfishly. It's for you to enjoy and also to share with the people around you. So what are some ways in which we can share the knowledge that we have? What are some ways in which we can share the knowledge that we have? Can you give me some examples? Yeah, this is a reality. Many people are led to Islam, you know, they're encouraged to accept Islam, and once they accept Islam, they need to learn how to pray, they need to learn how to recite the Qur'an. Who's going to teach them? Nobody's willing. And what did the Prophet ﷺ tell us? بَلِّغُوا عَنِّي وَلَوْ آيَةً Convey from me even if it's just one ayah. One ayah even if you know, you have the responsibility to tell other people about it. So even if you cannot teach you know, a lot of stuff, you know a little bit, share that. Share that. So how can we share what we learn? Yeah, that you know, when we're having a normal conversation with people around us at work or at school, we'll talk about the weather, we'll talk about their Eid that's coming up, we'll talk about the Hajj. And even if we don't start that conversation, people will ask us. Right? And when people ask us, sometimes we just kind of brush it away, you know, because we're like, oh, it's going to be so weird talking about Islam. You know, I don't like to do that. So don't brush it away. Use that as an opportunity. Anytime you're having a conversation with someone, you are practicing your Islam. Like the sister mentioned that in school when she has to go to pray, you know, people, they look, they ask. So when they do that, they're asking you about prayer. And typically, you know what people do when they'll see you praying? Pray for me also. Alright? They say that, pray for me also. So then use that as an opportunity to talk about prayer. Why we pray? What are the benefits of prayer? What do we say when we are praying? Be proud of what you're doing. So for example, she shared that, for instance, if she's fasting, she'll tell her friends, I'm fasting today. And they'll be like, why are you fasting? So then she'll tell them, it's the month of the hijjah. And there you also say that this is the best time of the year, and this is the best time of doing good deeds, and this is what we believe, and this is hajj. And you know, you create a conversation there. So remember that no matter what you have to do, you must share what you're learning. Because it's not a good feeling when people keep secrets from you. Isn't it? When they hide good things from you. Imagine your friends, they have a party, everybody goes there, and they don't even tell you about it. They don't invite you, they don't tell you. They're enjoying themselves, they don't even call you. Your family goes out for dinner, they don't even tell you. How does it feel? How does it feel? Horrible, because you missed out on some dessert. You missed out on some food. People are missing out on the verses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They're missing out on peace. They're missing out on the rewards in Jannah. Don't deprive them. 
Because those who do are criminals near Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. إِلَّا الَّذِينَ تَابُوا Except for those people who do tawbah. Tabu is from tawbah, tawawba. And tawbah is to really feel bad about the mistake that you made, about the wrong that you did. And so you decide that you're not going to do it anymore. You turn back. وَأَصْلَحُوا And they have made reforms. أَصْلَحُوا from إِصْلَاح إِصْلَاح is to fix things. You fix something that is broken, that is messed up. So after tawbah is إِصْلَاح First step is, you feel bad about what you have done, and you decide that you're no longer going to do it. You turn away from there. Second step is that you fix what you messed up. You fix what you broke. This is also part of tawbah. Okay? Like for example, if you hurt somebody's feelings. Let's say you bumped into someone and you really hurt them physically and then you didn't even turn around and apologize. And later on they come and talk to you and they're like, you pushed me and then you never apologized. Like what's going on? So you feel bad. So you do tawbah from it and then you do islah. What is the islah? How will you fix your relationship over there with that person? You have to say something. Like what? I'm sorry. But then, sorry is just a word. So, is that enough? No. You have to do something now to make them feel better. So for example, what can you do to make them feel better? How will you fix their hurt? How will you do that? By giving them something. By smiling at them. Right? By giving them a hug, for example. So, aslahu. And then, وَبَيَّنُوا And then they clarify. What should they clarify? What they concealed previously. The knowledge that they concealed, now they must tell people about it. Then those people, فَأُولَٰئِكَ أَتُوبُ عَلَيْهِمْ Those are the ones who I turn to in mercy. وَأَنَا التَّوَّابُ الرَّحِيمُ And I am the extremely accepting of repentance, the ever merciful. So what do we learn in this verse? About tawbah? That... When you've made a mistake, then there are three steps you need to take. First step is tawbah. You decide to turn away from that sin, from that mistake. Secondly, islah. You fix things. And then thirdly over here, because this is the crime of concealing knowledge, you have to clarify what you hid. So such people, their repentance is accepted because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is at tawab and Ar-Rahim. You see on page 23, the Prophet ﷺ said that the one who is questioned about knowledge and he conceals it. Like for example, a person is asked, what do I do if I'm fasting and I eat something by accident? And you know the answer. What is the answer? Keep fasting. You don't have to worry about what you ate by accident. Keep fasting. But then you're like, I don't know. You don't want to help that person because you have something against them. You don't like them. So you're like, yes, they need to know something. I know something they don't know. And so I'm going to torture them this way. And so you don't help them. You don't tell them. The Prophet ﷺ said, such a person will be made to wear a girdle of fire on the day of resurrection. This is a bridle. Okay? You know what a bridle is? Something that an animal is tied with. Have you ever seen a horse with the reins on? It's got this thing in its mouth, on its head. It's almost like a mask. 
So a person will be made to wear that on the day of judgment, but not made of leather, made of fire, because he concealed knowledge. So when somebody asks you a question about Islam, and you know the answer, don't hide that knowledge from them. Now the other situation is that you don't know the answer. Over there, don't make it up please. If you don't know the answer, don't make things up. This is where you know the answer. Still you don't tell them. And if you don't tell them, then this is punishable in the hereafter. Such people get the curse of Allah. And on the other hand, we learn that people who teach others good things, what happens to them? They get the du'as of the creation. Even the ants and the fish make du'a for them. So we have two types of people. One category of people share the good that they have. Whether it's money or it's knowledge, it's happiness, anything good that they have, they share it with others. And as they share, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives them even more. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased with them. And then you have another type of people who are selfish, who don't share the good that they have. Instead they hide it. They're only concerned about themselves. They're even stingy with knowledge. They won't share knowledge with people because they're afraid that others will know more than them. So such people are cursed by Allah. And of course, this is something that a person has to do tawbah from. The next verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا وَمَاتُوا Indeed, those people who disbelieve and then they die in that disbelief. Matu is from Meem Wauta. They die in that state of disbelief. They reject Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then they never believe. وَمَاتُوا وَهُمْ كُفَّارُونَ While they are kuffar. They stubbornly disbelieve. Kuffar is a plural of kafir. أُولَٰئِكَ عَلَيْهِمْ لَعْنَةُ اللَّهِ Such people will have the curse of Allah. وَالْمَلَٰئِكَ And the angels وَالنَّاسِ أَجْمَعِينَ And all people. What does this mean? That if a person does not believe in Allah and they die in that state, then they are removed, far removed from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy. There is no jannah for them. There is no mercy for them. خَالِدِينَ fiha. They will abide therein forever. In that fire, they will stay forever. لَا يُخَفَّفُ عَنْهُمُ الْعَذَابِ The punishment will not be lightened for them. يُخَفَّفُ is from خَفَفَ Tahfif is to reduce something. To lighten the intensity of something. You know, for example, if it's very cold in your car, because the AC is very high, what do you do? You reduce the cooling. This is tahfif. So, لا يخفف عنهم العذاب The punishment will never be reduced for them. وَلَاهُمْ يُنظَرُونَ Nor will they be looked at. You know, when you're suffering, when you're in pain, and somebody looks at you with compassion, you know, your pain doesn't go away, but at least you feel good that somebody saw me. Somebody paid attention to me. وَلَاهُمْ يُنظَرُونَ They will not even be looked at. No one will look at them with compassion. They will not get any attention. Who are these people? Those who die with disbelief. So then what is our responsibility? That we must tell people about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We must share this knowledge with them. And if we don't, we are doing a great disservice. We are harming people. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from this. Now, a few questions. If you go onto your reflections page, page number 26, I have a few questions for you and I want you to answer them. What do we learn from these verses that we have studied right now about life? Very good. 
He said, life is full of hardship. I would like to change that a little bit by saying that there is hardship in life. If you say full of hardship, then that's a negative way of portraying life. That life is just tough, you know. It's just going to be so bad, right? There is difficulty in life, but like he said, every hardship is such that inshallah you will be able to overcome it, you will be able to deal with it. Very good. What do we learn from these verses about essentials for success? If you want to succeed in life on a daily basis, what is it that you must do? What is it that you must hold on to? Go ahead. Have sabr and be constant with your salah. Istarinu bisabri wasala. This means without sabr and salah, there is no success. Sometimes we think, oh, I'll leave my prayer so that I can, you know, get my work done. No, you're making a big mistake. Pray and also get your work done. Prayer will not cut down on your time. It will bring barakah in your time. Next question. What do we learn from these verses about the purpose of difficulties? Why are there difficulties in life? Why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala test us? Very good. Difficulties strengthen us. Difficulties push us beyond the limits that we have set for ourselves. And difficulties bring us closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also. How should we view difficulty? When we face some difficulty, how should we think about it? How should we look at it? Okay. Look at the positive side. So view difficulty positively. Okay, see it as a test, as a challenge that you can deal with. Go ahead. Yes, acknowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has full control over the situation. So turn to Him and depend on Him. That it will not go on forever and there is wisdom in it. That this is an opportunity for you to get close to Allah. So make dua. Okay, what do we learn from these verses about repentance? Repentance, making tawbah. Is tawbah just saying, I'm sorry? Is that enough? Exactly. Tawbah is with making amends. When you repent from a sin or from a mistake, then you also have to make amends. Alright, last question. What do we learn from these verses about iman? Faith. In the last verses we learned those who die in a state of kufr. So what do we learn from these verses about iman? Exactly. Iman is essential for success in this life and in the next life. Iman is a blessing like no other blessing. It's a blessing that has no substitute. If a person brings the earth's fill of gold in the hereafter, on the day of judgment, to save himself from the hellfire, that earth's fill of gold will not be accepted. And if a person brings iman, that is so little, like the size of a mustard seed, that will be enough to save him. So iman is a blessing that has no substitute. Faith is a blessing that has no substitute. We will listen to the recitation of these verses. وَالْهُدَى مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا بَيَّنَّاهُ 
السلام علیکم و رحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ